Hell yeah, I can talk about bunk clothes. All you want, man. What do you want to know about them? Damn it, Chaz. Doing it in the dining room. Doing it in the sanctuary with music. You're gonna have to cut this all this part out. <laughs> Welcome to Unholy Spirits. We're glad you've chosen to listen to us. We're three friends who get together each week to talk theology, alcohol, and whatever comes in between. There's nothing too radical or off limits as we seek the ridiculous, ridiculousness that is God's very existence. So grab a drink, pull up a chair, and join us in our conversation. So we'd like to welcome everybody back um, to Unholy Spirits. If you've been listening to us, you may have noticed that we um, took a little time off. Um, as most of us are preachers, you know, Easter is a very chaotic and hectic time. And a lot of times after the week after Easter, um, we like to take some downtime to recompose um, and sort of get back into the swing of things. But um, we're excited to be back, although things are going to look just a little bit different than they did um, before Easter. I know one of the things that we're um, one of the things that we did during Lent was we specifically we picked the scripture. Uh, the scripture that we picked was based off of uh, the what's called the Revised Common Lectionary Text, and that's pretty much laid out. And so, moving on and moving forward, we're actually going to pick a topic, and we're going to talk about that topic uh, towards the um, yeah where whenever we get to that in the midst of our conversation. And uh, we will, of course, continue to post, uh, if there are specific scriptures that we like related to the topic, we'll post that on our Facebook page. And, of course, if I come up with any sort of, uh, you know, crazy off-the-wall YouTube reference, that'll get posted up there as well. And the other change that you guys may notice going forward is that we won't be posting one necessarily every week. Um, We'll try to maybe be close to that, but there's no guarantee that one will show up in your feed um every week yeah i think one of the things i'm excited about with this format is like we can get feedback and then like choose stuff based off of what other people say too so i think that'll be a neat way for people to to find us to listen and if you want to hear us ramble about something pretty in particular even if it has nothing to do with the bible we will ramble on whatever you want us to ramble on I was trying to think about all the things that I could ramble on about. Like, I could probably fill up two hours just talking about, like, glue, like different glues. I I thought you were going to say obscure folk musicians. (laughs) Yeah, I could do that. I could do the evolution of murder tunes or murder ballads as they came across from England and how they, like, made their way into, like, a modern Americana music. Yeah, I could talk for hours about that. What about bungalows? Could you talk about (laughs) bungalows? I could, yeah, I could talk, talk about some, hell yeah, I could talk about bungalows. All you want, man. What do you want to know about them? And, Mine, uh, mine's limited to like Star Wars comic books and dead Germans. So pretty much what we already talk about. Pretty much what we already talked about. Everybody enjoys the dead Germans. Yeah. I am excited also about um, another little upgrade that hopefully you're hearing. Um, we we all enjoyed the process enough and thought it sounded like shit just a little too much, so we all invested in uh, mic upgrades. So hopefully we sound a little bit clearer to you as well. 
Except for me, because I forgot mine. But next time, I will sound better. Maybe it'll make me sound coherent as well. What you need to do is just, like, name your mic a dead German. So then that way you'll always, like, remember him or remember it and bring it along. Kierkegaard the mic. Yeah. That even sounds like a mic company. It does. That's sort of like, a, like the Schleiermacher. That, that sounds like a guitar. <laughs> that sounds like a like something that a British rock group would play. Yeah, yeah, like a yeah, Rickenbacker. Yeah, nice. Hey, there you go. Thanks. So speaking of Easter, how was Easter for everyone? And for me, Easter was like this crazy clusterfuck of awfulness or almost awfulness that came together kind of spectacularly at the end. Well, that's a teaser for a story if I've ever heard one. <laughs> well, so like we were, you know, we reopened our sanctuary and of course, you know, we're doing it with restrictions and all that. And so, <clears throat> you know, one of the restrictions that are recommended to us right now is to not have like a call and response or, you know, any sort of, you know, way that we would do liturgy and what's the first damn thing that you do on Easter morning is you get up there and say, the Lord is risen and everybody, you know, screams it back at you. The Lord is risen indeed. And so we're just trying to imagine how to do that. And so we came up with this idea of, well, let's do Easter outside. And we have, you know, we have like a, an electric hookup. And so that's, you know, that that's easy to do. And we had it worked out to where we could, um, actually like still do our radio projectors or radio transmitter thing so if folks wanted to stay in their car they didn't feel comfortable comfortable being outside around people they could still be there and listen and see and all that and you know we had like our one trumpet player who's been you know had her second dose of vaccinations three weeks before easter and like everything was just sort of lining up until about 10 30 when we realized that the power in the graveyard just wasn't working uh-oh yeah, and so it was a scramble to figure that out, and we had, like, plan A, plan B, plan C, and luckily one of the guys had a truck that we could actually, like, plug something into, and we pretty much ran the whole Easter. We didn't figure that out until, hmm, 10.55, and we ran the whole Easter service off of the truck, so, like, if you were watching our Facebook live thing, you just heard this hum in the background. That was the guy's truck running. That's really, that's the Easter miracle. Yeah. And then, like, I had so much fun talking about the Mark passage because I cut it off of just the women leaving the tomb and talked about cliffhangers. And then I talked about how they talked about the Sopranos and how that's one of the, like, the classic cliffhangers in, like, modern television. And I sort of ended the sermon on a cliffhanger. Um, I literally like just, I had the, 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 the trumpet player like interrupt me at the very end. And it was one of those things like, I thought it was really cool. And then so many people afterwards were like, did she interrupt you? And I was like, damn it. Y'all didn't get what I was going for. <laughs> so, or maybe they did. And that was like, like, that was the point was that they, I don't know. I'm trying to save this for you, but I, it didn't work. No, I mean, like, I was one of those, like, I had fun preaching it, and I just wish I'd, I don't know, it had gone over a little bit more. Yeah. But then after that, I mean, it was, 
pretty chill. Um, it was just, it was interesting doing Easter, you know, a year into the pandemic. Um, and so much, you know, like last year at this time, everybody's like, what do we do? And do we do anything? And now it's like, you know, we progress to, this is how we're going to do it. And everybody's pretty cool about it. So that was, and on the one hand, it was, it was cool because people were cool about it. And on the other hand, you're just like, damn it, the fuck are we still having to do this? And, you know, when you start asking those questions, all the sort of, you know, like for me, places of anger comes back in is like, if the former president had just said, had just said, wear a mask. Like we can still like argue about everything else we want to under the sun. Just wear a damn mask while you do it. Would we be having to be, would we be having to do Easter the way we did it? And so that just sort of put a, yeah, put a little thing on it. Um, and it also, it sucked. Like, you know, one of the things that we do in our Easter services, we mention the people who have died, or as we say it, um, come into the more immediate presence of our Lord and Savior, uh, their Lord and Savior. And we read those names and just, you know, two of them died of COVID and two of them didn't have to die of COVID. So that, you know, that was pretty surreal. Yeah. Yeah, that would be, I would imagine that is a bit of a real, like a shock to reality on that one. Yeah. Yeah. And it, that's the weirdest part for me was that it was too, like it was the second Easter into this was what I think was the strangest part for me. It was like, oh, we've already done, like, we're, we're now back to doing things in the pandemic twice. And that was, yeah, a little bit of a, of a rude awakening. Our service was outside. It was the first outside service that we had done. So it was like the first time that we had, we've had, we've been back in person, but very limited. So it was the first time we had, you know, somewhat semblance of a, of a normal congregation since it started and at least in one, one place. So that was, that was, that was nice. And we, all of our, we didn't know if we were, we were, we sort of had it, we're scrambling to make sure we were going to be online because of internet issues, but that sort of worked out at the very last minute too. So I, it was just the, another Easter I, miracle. I know. Um, and it just, it, it was a quick reminder of how reliant we've become on those kind of things to do what we do, which is, I don't know. That's just a, I'm not sure how I feel about that, but, well, and, um, and I don't know if you had this experience, but one of the things that like, yeah, it sucked, but at the same time, like, I really do love the group of people that I'm working with in that mm -hmm. they're all very resourceful. Yeah. Like it wasn't, Oh God, the power's out, you know, let's cancel Easter. You know, it wasn't like a let's pull a Michael Scott and cancel Christmas because the power was out. It was, all right, who's got what extension cord and whose spouse doesn't come to church so they can run it over here sort of thing. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and so everybody was very, very, you know, and that's, and that's the way this group is. Um, so that, that was an Easter miracle, perhaps, but it happens all the time for us. Yeah, so and that's pretty I, cool. yeah, that, that is, that part is, and, that, and I think that's one of the things that we, I've, is the cool parts about, I mean, if there is a, you know, positive part to what we're going through at all. Um, it is that there are the, you can see the ways that 
people come together um, and that and and find and and make things happen when you didn't think that they could. Um, but yeah, I think it's just going to be it's going to be interesting because it's showing us like what we in what we have been putting time, money, and energy into as far as like a church goes is now very different. So like, how, did, how are the, how are those things going to shift? You know, um, I did feel like the Mark text was very appropriate for this particular Easter, um, you know, in the talking about the, the women being terrified and amazed. Um, yeah. I, I, yeah. And I, I talked a little bit about that in my Easter sermon. And then also like, I thought it was really like all the different passages where, where Jesus is unrecognizable after the resurrection and um, you know, the disciples and the people that, you know, they don't know who he is and he, he appears and, you know, there's all of those variety of stories where the road to Emmaus or John's, you know, counting, recounting of the, the resurrection. And I thought that was interesting too, in light of this, in terms of what we, so much of our world is unrecognizable um, from what we're used to and how like people are also unrecognizable, you know, like for like a lot, like a lot of the kids, like at our church, like we haven't seen them in a year and they look totally different or people look like they've aged a decade and in a year, or you can't, you don't even like, you have a hard time to see it knowing who's who because they have a mask on, you know, like this whole idea of unrecognizable was, was interesting to me. It was interesting for me because like I went from we progressed at where we are from doing it like at my dining room table to actually like being in the sanctuary with real music and, and things like that. That's what she said. I mean, yeah, I guess that would work. Sorry. I could I see where you went with it. I see you reaching for it. I see you. Um, but yeah, like, so I felt like there was a sense of improvement and maybe progress, albeit differently. But I talked a lot about what you said, Chaz, which is like, I, I really wanted the difference between resurrection and returning. Mm. I felt like in a sense that everybody hopes that COVID is just some kind of, there's a grand return to the way things used to be or back to normal. And I thought that the quicker we sort of abandon that idea, the closer we actually get to like a new kind of future, a resurrected kind of new thing that's created. It's not the same old thing. It's something different. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, I think that's a really, that's a really important point. I think about it, like just theologically in the whole idea of the resurrection story, because I think we even, you know, just like we want or a lot of us want things to go back to the way that they were or to return. I think that's how we, a lot of times see like Jesus post-resurrection is he just like, he like just came back. Right. He just like, he got, you know, it's like Humpty Dumpty, right. He got the pieces put back together and it's all good. And he just like chills out and hangs until he goes into the Ascension. But I think, particularly John's gospel makes a point that it's not like it's not a pre 
crucified Jesus that returns, but it's a resurrected, crucified Jesus. Um, and I think that's a really important distinction, um, particularly like with, you know, the text from, from last week talking about Thomas and, and needing to see the wounds of Jesus. Um, you know, it, it there's, it, it doesn't, if, if Jesus was just returning, you would think he would return. Why leave those three, you know, right. Why not he, heal those last three pieces of Jesus, you know, like, why come back with the, the, the marks of a crucifixion? Um, because it's not a return to what was before, but it's a, but a resurrection. And you would think that if the disciples were, like if someone like Thomas were hopeful for that, you wouldn't ask to see the marks. You wouldn't, you wouldn't ask to see the wounded parts, you would say, like, you would, you would think they'd be looking for some kind of perfection, some kind of grand sign or some kind of blinding light, some kind of mm -hmm. coming on the clouds kind of thing. And they don't. What they're looking for is a wounded, is, a, is a, an imperfection that's been carried over, something that's been made new yet not perfect or not complete. All right. Let me, let me throw this one out there. All right. So in the John text, um, so, all right, so let's say Thomas had not said, unless I see, you know, the marks in his hands and the spear wound in his side, I won't believe. It almost sort of has like a, almost like a Schrodinger's cat sort of feel. Like if he had not said that, would Jesus, you know, would Jesus have returned with those, with those marks? Like, is it only because that's what Thomas needs to see that Jesus returns with the nail wounds and the, you know, and the side wound? So does that mean he, in this scenario, does he not have them then when he repairs to the first disciples? No, I mean, he has them there because when he comes in, you know, he, that's the first thing he does. And so maybe it's, and, and you could make the argument that they needed to see that well. It's just Thomas is the only one who's got the guts to actually say what he needs sort of thing. Oh, I see what you mean. And so yeah. had that need not been there, would Jesus have returned with those marks of his suffering and crucifixion? Well, I, I don't know. I would certainly say that he, that he does because there's no way that – because he carries those to heaven. I mean, those aren't – because he does appear to the disciples with them. Thomas is just not there. I mean, and you read, even in, like, this week's account from Luke, you know, why are you frightened? Look here at this part. Mm. Yeah, I think, I think, I think the bigger, for me, the bigger, the bigger idea is that it's, that like in like there is a there's a narrative point in the telling of john's gospel or i mean of the gospels but in particular john's gospel because he makes a bigger deal of the of specifically the you know the wound marks of jesus crucifixion even than um luke and the other ones do but i think that i think it's the the bigger point is like what john is trying to say i think narratively 
you know, um, particularly going all the way back to like John's prologue when he's saying like, you know, the word was God, the word was with God, like drawing this very strong connection between like Christ being God incarnate. Um, that it's not a, that the resurrection isn't something that puts everything back together but it preserves it is a preservation and a like um of like of a woundedness or of an incompleteness even within even within christ um so i guess i guess that, that i think that's i think that's why thomas in some ways is is the one to truly understand what it means to have faith in Christ um, because to have faith in Christ is to have faith in the resurrected wounds of Christ well and, and the thing I love about Thomas is that like he, if there's any disciple that sort of gets it before everybody else does it's him because there's that random ass comment that he makes and I think it's like John 14 where he says let us go to Jerusalem so that we may die with him mm-hmm and then it's Thomas that asks the question, you know, like, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And that's when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You know, Thomas has this way of sort of, like, getting more to the point than the other disciples do. Mm-hmm. Do you think that Thomas gets more to the point because Thomas is the first one to embrace what he doesn't know? Like, I think that the reason Thomas gets it so much sooner is that Thomas is the one person willing to say, like, willing to doubt out loud. Throughout the whole yeah. thing. Thomas is willing to live into, I don't know this, tell me. Tell me, Tom. And, like, I think it's interesting for me to think about Thomas in the sense that, like, Christianity can encompass its own doubt. Like, mm-hmm. far from it being a thing of don't doubt, just believe, rather, like, faith is encompassed in doubt. Like, you have to doubt to have faith, I think. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think that's the. I think that's true. I think that's particularly true about like what like what Christianity what is unique about it. Uh, and not that I mean there are other religions that that embrace ambiguity and doubt too. So I'm not trying to say that like Christianity has a monopoly on that one, but I think the the idea that this um that this fissure or this fracture goes all the way to the heart of God is, is part of what, like a uniquely Christian narrative. Um, and I think that's, yeah, I think that's, I think Thomas gets, I think Thomas in, in John's gospel, Thomas is the character who, who, who demonstrates that throughout in, in a lot of different ways, who demonstrates that like, embracing the ambiguity of faith is what it almost what it means to have faith well and and that's one of the theological traditions that myself chaz and josh um you know are you know very much involved in um sort of states that thomas is the one who has the most faith out of all the disciples Mm -hmm. and it's particularly because you know, of what he says, 
after Jesus has been resurrected that they you know they point to that. Yeah, it, it particularly you don't see it much any. At least I haven't seen it recently in, in like a, a Bible translation. But you know how in some they'll like they'll title the story, you know, which I find super annoying in general. That's why I like the Oxford annotated Bible because it doesn't it doesn't even have paragraph. No, it might have paragraph markers. I know it doesn't have section breaks. And people are but, like, "How are we going to study this?" It's like, yeah, you, you got to read the whole damn thing. You, you got to read the. Yeah, you gotta read it. Uh, but then when you like, I mean, there's so much um, interpretation in like, you can tell by what they how they choose to title those sections. So I get really mad when I open one and it says like doubting Thomas. I'm like, no, or like 50 damn years of preachers, previous preachers in the same tradition using that same title. And I'd be like, the fuck did y'all learn or not learn? But you know what's so fascinating, though? Despite that, that because they do it that way, that somebody who comes along and says, you've thought this your whole life, I'm going to spin it for you. And when you do it, people go, oh my gosh, I've never, like the the, the sort of light bulb, the, the, the aha sort of goes off. And I think part of it's almost reliant on years of poor thought on Thomas in that sense like because it sort of clicks for them in that way yeah I think I mean that's that is the yeah the ability to sort of flip a story like that on its head I think can be really helpful um, in terms of like breaking people into a new way of thinking um, but yeah I still think you get the bad rap as Doubting Thomas. Well, and, all right, like, who the hell? Sorry, I'm cursing a lot tonight. Who, Josh, if you're editing this, I'm sorry, man. You have to. Just bleep, 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 bleep. You're the one who's, what's, it's what's chapping Zach today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what's, yeah, and I mean, we're hitting on it right now. And, like. So, go ahead. What's chapping Zach this week? Like out of all the out of, out of out of all the yeah, what's really cha- what's been chapping my ass for the past like yeah, however long I've been studying this stuff is like, who the hell gets to decide what what nickname the disciples get? Like just because Jesus says don't doubt, all of a sudden oh he's doubting Thomas. Like nobody's like denying Peter. Well, he gets called the Rock. Yeah, damn it, Jesus! You nicknamed I mean, the Jesus- wrong person. And now I can't think of like Peter other than like being Dwayne Johnson, <laughs> which that thought is rather funny. Like, like when Paul like talks to him and he doesn't agree with it, he just like raises that highbrow. Yeah, I think if I were to cast a movie of the life of Jesus, I would cast Peter as Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Just for the punny's sake. So then who gets Doubting Thomas? That's the good one. Damn it, it's Josh. not Doubting Thomas. God! It's just Thomas. That's not going to go over well in Craig's classes when you get up to seminary. I'm going to say it just to say it. I mean, that'll work. You can't break it down for him if you don't call him that every once in a while just as a joke. God. 
Well, but I guess like you could you could easily do like denying Peter. You could do that one, or you could do like you could even call Jesus like redneck Jesus. You could totally do that because he's from Nazareth. Well, I don't think. I mean, it would have been hard to like give him the nickname redneck for that long. I feel like that's a somewhat recent. Yeah. Point. Doubting yes. Thomas, I feel like it's been around for a while. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So in, anyway, yes, that's that's what that's what chaps me. That's what chaps, and I like it, it. always and I always you know try to be somewhat creative on what I preach about. And you know, the Sunday after Easter is always Doubting Thomas Sunday, and I always t- feel like the need to actually just talk about how that's a bullshit concept. And so that's like the one Sunday I'm not original. And I always keep going back to that, but that's what always gets me. And it'll probably continue to get me until people, you know, till the whole Christian world listens to this podcast and has a, you know, change of heart. So my better ass monetize is gonna, this thing quick. Then my ass is going to be chapped for so long. <laughs> I need to Ken Copeland this. If we're, if that, if we're getting that many listeners, you know, and that's been chapping my ass recently too. Like Ken Copeland in general. Well, and like how many of the ministers, you know, um, one of our favorite Instagram pages is one called Christian Nightmares. If you're not following Christian Nightmares, you You totally need to follow it. And it's sort of like the whole like two weeks after Easter, they were just posting these random clips of these like dumbass conservative, you know, Christian pastors in these mega churches. And all they're doing is talking about Donald Trump and taking off their masks. It's like. Jesus died and was resurrected for y'all to talk about that. It's ridiculous. Well, Ken Copeland was t- had an opportunity to talk about the plague of poverty. No, no. I think he called it the curse of poverty. Because that's one what he's well acquainted with. Yes. He could talk what about his $45 million private jet. Did you because ever hear all- that? Because when I think Jesus, the first thing I think of is wealthy. <laughs> Did you ever watch Religious? Religious uh, the Bill Maher movie? No. There's a there's a one of the pastors in there like talking about how like justifying all the money he spends. He's like, baby, everybody knows that Jesus wore fine linen. That's why we gotta dress nice. But nobody knows that. Who knows that? <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think there's anybody that knows that. You just made that up. Um, people be crying. No, it, it, it's just people use, people use Jesus to justify what they want to about themselves. That is definitely the case. Which is interesting. I always, somebody... Somebody um, pointed out in a commentary about the John passage that what John says to Mary, Mary, whom are you looking for, is phrased the exact same way that he says it to the guards who come to arrest him. Hmm. The word phrasing is the same. And in my nine o'clock group, somebody said, well, what do you think that means? And I thought about it. And the only thing that came to my mind was that you can make Jesus what you want him to be. If you want Jesus Hmm. to con to you know condone your shitty behavior and being an asshole to people you'll probably find a way to twist it and make that happen and jesus is like alice's restaurant alice's restaurant oh y'all actually got walk that? right in 
I know the song. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. How does that play into? But I don't know how it relates to what you're talking about. I don't know how it can make it whatever it be. You can get. Oh, you can get anything. Okay. Oh God, man, it's like the most famous line in the damn song, other than Alice's Restaurant. I didn't. It's not well that that's you can get anything you want, not like you can make it into whatever you want. Oh, because that's such a far stretch. It is a far stretch. Then, like, a better reference would have been, like, what's the Pokemon that can turn into all the other Pokemons? I don't know, man. Ditto. It's Ditto. That would have been a better reference. Or... Did you have, like, a huge Pokemon deck? I don't right now. (laughs) I lost my holographic Charizard a long time ago, and I'm pretty pissed about it. Like, I'm still salty. How many packs of cards do you have to get to 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 get that? Would you luck out on the first like first little pack or No, you... I bought it on eBay. <laughs> you gotta buy way too many to find that like in the wild. God. <laughs> wait, wait. the wilderness in search of a holographic Charizard. That was that was that was why Jesus went in there because the you know because the devil tempted him. Chaz went in there to find his Charizard. That's right. Wait, did you did you do Pokemon Go? Yeah. If it's any if it's any consolation, I played it with my kids. All right, that's fair. It's much. But then there were times I didn't play it with my kids too. (laughs) So. What's daddy doing walking around the street by himself? I also had a neighbor at the time who was like, I mean, he still is. He's just not my neighbor. Um, but he was a like built apps and like a programmer and like did all like, I don't know, all that fancy like computer stuff. And he was able to write code to make your phone anywhere in the world. So we could like make our phone be in like downtown New York which has a lot more Pokemon than like middle of nowhere outside of Charlotte. And so we would just like change our phone location and get better Pokemon Somebody without having like... to walk. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody put a couple in like, I forget which church it was, but one church's graveyard had two of them. And so then all of a sudden people are just walking through the graveyard. At my other, at the congregation I served before the one I'm at now, there was like a raid every, like every other Saturday or something. So like randomly every other Saturday, like at some random time, like tons of people would just show up on the church lawn. I'd be like, what are these, like, what are these people doing? We don't have anything going on. And there it's a, our church was a Pokemon gym. Sorry. I completely derailed us by. This is supposed to be Zach's job. He did start it. He brought up Alice's restaurant. I just took it into Pokemon. All right. So as I recall, before I derailed us, um, <laughs> we were talking about the, you know, John's and John's account of the resurrection. You know, when Jesus asked the question, whom are you looking for? That almost allows people to sort of justify what it is they want to see in Jesus. That's where we were. Mm. And I think, you know, 
that's 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 cool and that's you know an ability but that's also the beauty of the brokenness that's resurrected hmm. is that you know this is who you're looking for cool and you want to see this but you can't get away from the crucifixion because those are there with him even now in the resurrection that's sort of like the you know yeah you can get whatever you want but at the same time how does that how does that sort of factor in with the reality of who jesus actually is and how do we know who jesus is because he still has the marks yeah i like that i think that's a really really good point because because that because i think that was because when you were when you were saying that i was thinking like of the like the double-edged nature of this right like there is this there is this like aspect where people just impose on to not just Jesus, but I think like God and religion in general, like it becomes whatever you want it to be. You know, it, it becomes the justification for whatever sort of destructive or ideology that you that you have. You know, it's supported or it's been used to support some of the worst aspects of history, right? Um, but at the same time, like we also want to say that there is a something about jesus that is you know something about this person of jesus you know about christ that is universal that is that is that is you know a reason why he's called the human one you know that there is this what is this aspect and i think that's what that's what keeps us on that differentiation zach like you said like it has to be focused on the wounds of christ um, and that as the, as what is the unifying piece, because, you know, when, when you have the people who are trying to, to make their Jesus into whatever, you know, uphold whatever system of power that they want, they're not talking about like <laughs> the wounded Jesus on the cross, you know, it's, it, it's going to be a triumphalist Jesus. And I think what is, what is universal about, human nature that is exhibited in Christ is the wounds and the fracturedness of it. Is there a sense I have this I don't know maybe this is poor phrasing but that almost to an extent that Jesus moves beyond a discussion or question of like good and evil or right and wrong like that, the, that Jesus the way the way that he is through resurrection and still bearing all of the marks moves beyond good and evil. Like it's beyond a discussion of that. Yeah. I mean, I think in some ways, yeah, I think it, it puts, it puts those things into a much different perspective than, then, you know, and then in a sense, he's not going to solve that problem for you necessarily all the time either. Well, and, and that reminds me almost just of, you know, what does God call God's self? I am. No other qualification other than I am. And then that's, that, that's sort of like what we have in Jesus. You know, I am this. You know, you can take it or leave it or, you know, make of it what you want, but you can't get away from the fact that I am this. Yeah, and 
I think too, like, I think there's a, I think a lot of, a lot of the, like what, what the message of Jesus points us to is an idea of freedom and not like the idea of like, I think freedom as we usually think of it is like, I can do whatever I want or like, I can choose whatever choice that I want, but like, you are free from like all of the, all of the ways that we're, we're, we're stuck making choices that we don't want to make. Like Paul's whole thing in Romans where he's like, I do what I don't want to do. And that I always forget where that is, but like this whole, that whole bit about like, I, I continue to do this, but I don't want to do this. And I wanted to, you know, like this whole, it's almost like this, he's getting at this sort of like unconscious self-destruction and I think not that we ever overcome that, but I think what we see in Christ is a way to embrace the sort of terrifying aspect of freedom that we are left to make real choices with real consequences. Um, and that is ultimately, I mean, this is like, I think what Kierkegaard would say, like that's ultimately like a very scary thing, not a, um, it's something that we have to embrace with, with fear and trembling. Do you think that oftentimes we think of what we're freed from and not often enough about what we're freed to? Yeah, because I think when, yeah, because I think when we talk, we talk about what you're freed to, like there's a, that like inherently in that question is a sense of responsibility. And I think that's one of the terrifying things about freedom is like, you know, it's, you know, not to get too Spider-Man on us, but like, you know, that whole great power, great responsibility thing, right? Like there is this, like when, when you realize that we are free to make our own actions and those actions have consequences and there's no, there's no like big other out there that's going to justify my, the way I, you know, treat my neighbor poorly, you know, like once you realize that all of those things are, those are on us, it's on us to build the better world um that can be a very terrifying thing i think i think it's almost also interesting too because i think like when we're when we talk about freedom in this sense i think about the ways in which like jesus like def almost defies people to make decisions like that right mm, yeah like, jesus refuses to to be the one that you're going to pin this on like this is on you, like you're free to make this decision and you have to make it, you know, in the, in the best way that you can at the time and place with the people that you're around. Um, but that it's your decision ultimately. Yeah. And I think that's one of the really interesting things in the crucifixion narrative, you know, like that, I think it's one of the, it, it really shows itself in like, you know, when you, when you read those stories, of what's leading up to Jesus' crucifixion because at every moment like Jesus never you know he never really gives himself up or gives himself away right like he's when he's with Pilate he's like you know you're gonna do what you're gonna do like make your decision you know and Pilate's trying to say like well give me a reason not to do this or give me a, you know give me a are reason you, to either convict you, you or a, not convict you are you a king and he says well you say that I am yeah and so like he's it, it really does show, even in the the story of what leads christ to the cross is is the 
I think it's meant to show us that just it, it's the choices and the actions and the of the people along the way, and and we're to see ourselves in the in the, in that position in the story. Well, um, one of the things that I sort of struggle with is you know when we start talking about the you know the crucifixion and all the different actors in it, you know I, I struggle with some of the difference between John, you know, John's account that makes it sound like, you know, this is, this is, this is, this is just a part of the plan. And Jesus mm-hmm. is going to make damn sure that Jesus is going to get crucified. You know, and that's just, that's, you know, that's just, that's how it's going to go. Whereas, you know, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's much more of a, you know, Jesus can, you know, Jesus can sort of get out of this, but it's the people's will that gets Jesus crucified. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I really do sort of, you know, I, I, I see merits in both. Um, but at the same time, I just, <clears throat> it's, I find it to be more meaningful, more of like, more along the lines of John's interpretation. As opposed to Jesus just sort of falls into this because of, people being shitty yeah and that's i think that i think that's a good point and i think it's a i think it's sort of like somewhere in between because i think there's a lot of like good textual reasons sort of like why you're going to find that in john's gospel as opposed to the synoptics synoptics that's it um but yeah i think and and that is really interesting because there is this almost like it's almost like in John's gospel, it's like this like heat seeking missile, like all the way to the, you know, all the way to the crucifixion. Um, you know, and it's very clearly like, this is where we're going. This is where this is headed and there's nothing we can do about it. Um, and I think, I think especially in like Matthew and Luke, I think they're trying to place some blame too on like the Jewish people mm-hmm. and the Jewish, I think there's a little bit of like, you know, Anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism going on there. So. Do you think when you think of this that we, we talked about one day a while ago that like we, we gave up the notion of original sin far too early? I guess when I think of it like the way Zach like maybe part of the reason is like Maybe we don't see that that kind of pinpoint trajectory coming from the synoptic gospels, but yet the original fall is going to at some point dictate that this is how this is going to happen. Whether or not we read it as a as a pinpoint thing that that the human that the hu- human nature is going to lead people to do this to someone, and Jesus is there to to be that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with the idea that we sort of like abandon, and 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 sometimes I think for good reason, we sort of like abandon or, or push back on the idea of original sin because like there are like one of the things I think you have to sort of have with that idea is you have to completely get rid of the idea that sin is like your moral choices, and I think like a lot of people sort of equate that those as the same thing um and i think to preserve like a like a a helpful idea of original sin like you have to get rid of the idea that like sin is the bad stuff that you do right um and 
get, getting at this point that there is an, uh, there's an original, there's an original rupture um, that is, you know, that is constitutive of who we are. Like it's part of who we are. Mm. Chaz is using those big words. He's not drinking enough. So that's true. <laughs> for me, um, who you know doesn't love to read this stuff the way that y'all do, can y'all tie this back together for me? You know, we were starting to really talk about this this notion of the broken, resurrected Christ, and now I'm just starting to see like what the hell are they talking about? Can you tie it back? Yeah, I mean, I think like I think part of part of the reason why like there is like why it's so important that it is a it is a wounded or or sort of a broken Jesus in the resurrection is that it's not a like it's not a erasure it's, it's not a, it's not like it's erasing the like brokenness within us but it's finding a way to embrace it you know it's not sort of a false wholeness and completeness um but what Jesus offers is a reconciling to that because what is most true is that woundedness because now we know that that's at the heart of who God is because Christ came back not whole and complete. Um, and then it's, you know, following, this is, you know, following John's gospel, then it is, it is that sort of crucified Jesus crucified, resurrected Jesus, who then sort of gives the spirit to the people, right? Um, and so it's it, even even in that movement, it's still, it's not one of wholeness and completeness, because I think when we chase after that, we chase after things that are either destructive to ourselves or destructive to other people. And it seemed like that's such a popular popular narrative, you know, that we like to, or that church likes to tell people, um, is that once you have Jesus, everything is going to be better. Everything is going to have this sense of completeness. Everything mm-hmm. is going to have this, you know, this joyous new life that's going to be different than the old life. Um, and that's not necessarily the case of what we have here. That's not necessarily yeah. what we have in the resurrected Jesus. Yeah, for sure. I think it, in that sense, too, it sometimes becomes difficult to talk about this in that way because at, on one hand, it is that brokenness that we're, we're drawn to um, and we have to look at in order to, in order to progress in any, in any reasonable sense um, in our actions. But I guess I also feel like sometimes we get really, it becomes really pessimistic in that we think, oh, it's all about brokenness all the time and that there's no joy ever in this. And I think that could be a dangerous path as well to not see mm-hmm. that there is at times joy and, and happiness and fulfillment and things. Yeah, for sure. And I think, I think it's a way to, it's a way to find those without um i'm not i'm struggling to find the right word but like it's finding the it's finding the contentment not the the constant um striving for something more you know like and there's there's a there's a like 
it, it's hard to explain the difference because it really it's not a difference in necessarily what it is because it can be anything like it can be your health it can be fitness it can be your job it can be like all of those things can either be you can find contentment in or you can use destructively it's it's how we it's how we desire and how we sort of seek after those things it's um, content with things not necessarily always searching for that dopamine yeah that's a good way to say it I also think it's interesting how like a woundedness removes our our idea of some kind of idealized, moralized, perfected future. Mm -hmm. I think that it's so it's just so interesting for me to to think about the things that can never be perfected or never be completed as the th as some of the things that are most worth going after, right? Like justice is never a completed act or a completed thing. And so that's the thing that's most worth pursuing. Mm -hmm. So I just think that that's always an interesting thing too about like the woundedness of Christ that I think of. I think you see it in the idea of love too. Like love is in a lot of ways, like loving the very difficult parts of another person or, um, or, or, or really giving of your, you know, two people giving of themselves for something, you know, it is, it, it, it's not necessarily going to make them whole and complete when they go together, but it's like, you almost enjoy, you enjoy the struggle of the other person in some way, you know, and like, there's a depth of love there. Um, Sometimes I guess I, I see that as like a, what other people see as some kind of like just broken glass. The right person sees as like the mosaic. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting. And I always think about this. I always think about like how this is, I mean, and for Moravians, it's particularly important and has been for a very long time, but how this is like liberation theology before it was liberation theology before anybody named it that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think there's a, I think there's definitely a way to see that and to read that in a lot of like Zinzendorf's ideas for sure. Man, you're like, damn, it's like cup of pins. You're like Craig's house in Friday. You got, you got Kool-Aid. You ain't got no sugar. Peanut butter ain't got no jelly. Damn, you got your mic. You don't don't have your mic. You don't got you don't got nothing to drink. You know what it's like. Yeah. Have you guys watched Harlem Nights? But I'm here, aren't I? <laughs> got me all hungry for small juice and nothing but a swallowing the container. Swallow it and shut the fuck up, then. <laughs> fuck you, bitch. Danny, I tell you to kiss my ass, but you probably blinded you blonde motherfucker. Go, go tell her you're sorry. <laughs> well, being that I'm the only one drinking tonight, well, no, Josh, what are you drinking? Josh is drinking. I've been drinking IPAs all night. Well, uh, I went on vacation this week, and in a moment of weakness was at the uh, Oak Island Liquor Store, which is quite lovely. Whole bunch of bourbons I've never seen before. 
Um, I guess I was sort of bit by the beach bug, so I got I found this hey, bottle yo. of bourbon that was like it's called Jefferson's Ocean, and I was like, man, that's gonna be awesome, and it was okay. And then, and then tonight I was like, oh, I didn't drink a lot of it because it was, it was only okay. So maybe I'll make an old fashioned out of this and it'll be like, it'll be awesome. For instance, if you've ever had like, there's a, there's a German restaurant up in Black Mountain and they always have like, like real German beer, not just like German style, but like legit German beer and all the beers that you have, there, are like, huh, it's okay. But as soon as you like pair it with food, it's amazing. I was like, maybe a little simple syrup and some bitters will make this better. It didn't. So I'm drinking your run-of-the-mill old-fashioned where I feel like I paid, you know, for advertising. But apparently Jefferson's, you know, at sea, like, it initially started as a, like, just a... Uh, an experiment these these guys took three barrels of jefferson bourbon and put it on a boat as they went around like the ocean for four years tagging sharks mm-hmm. and apparently those first three batches were awesome so much so that they got like bought out and stuff and so now they it's almost like a i don't know it's like a force-fed sort of thing like they put them on these ships and they travel around the world and cross the equator 30 times or something like that but it just really hadn't recaptured the magic of those first three barrels sort of thing so maybe yours got stuck in the suez canal for a while and didn't (laughs) we hope you enjoyed this week's episode of unholy spirits if you did we would love for you to leave us a review or share with one of your friends either way thanks so much for listening